0: You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to MidtownColumbia.com. Good to see you all this morning. My name is Ryan. If you haven't met me, I am pastor for care and recovery here at our downtown church. Uh, happy Father's Day to all of the fathers out there. It is your day, so celebrate. Uh, I, I've already called my dad. If you haven't called your dad and you're able to, make sure you call my dad. Uh, since, he became a, since he became a grandpa, he goes by Papa T, because he says he's not old enough to be a granddad. And I said, Dad, you're 73. You're old enough to be a granddad. But uh, I called Papa T this morning, let him know that I loved him. He didn't answer. I'll call him back. We'll see. Uh, I tried. I did all I could. Uh, I, I know that uh, for for a lot of us, Father's Day is is not just a day of celebration. It's also a really hard day, and I've got I've got lots of stories about my dad. I share some of them at recovery, uh, and I, I just want to say, if you have lots of stories about your dad uh, and you would like help working through that or processing or whatever whatever word you need, uh, come to recovery. Recovery is a great place for you to. Uh, work through some of that. We start September 27th. You can put it on your calendar now, but we'll announce it again before then. But just wanted to offer a free plug while I got the microphone. Uh, we are continuing this morning our look through the book of Philippians. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 19 through 30 this morning. Unique passage for today and that uh, We don't have a direct command. A lot of times Paul will will give the uh, indicative followed by the imperative. So you are free, therefore live as one who is free, right? He indicates who we are and then he gives us the imperative. This is how you shall live. Uh, Today, we don't have a direct application. There's not a therefore go do blank. And so uh, this is one of the reasons why it's important for us to teach through books of the Bible. It allows us, it even forces us to look at passages like this and show what we can glean From portions of scripture that might seem or might feel like they don't directly affect us. So today we're looking at gospel friendships and gospel goodbyes. We're going to look at a goodbye that Paul didn't necessarily want to have, but a goodbye that he faithfully had anyway. And we'll talk about the reason why and how he found joy in that. So if you'll read along with me, this is Philippians 2, 19 through 30. This is God's word. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Verse 25, "'I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, "'my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, "'and your messenger and minister in my need. "'For he's been longing for you all "'and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. "'Indeed, he was ill, near to death, "'but God had mercy on him, "'and not only on him, but on me also.'" lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray before we dive in. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to your word today, that you would speak uh, through me, and that you would speak clearly to us, that you would uh, send your Holy Spirit to point us to Jesus, that we would find our all, and we would put all of our hope in him. It's in his name I, name I pray. Amen. So this morning, we're going to specifically look at two of the characters that Paul cites, Timothy and Epaphroditus, and I want to help us see these characters and, and what they share in common. The first thing that that stands out is their friendship with Paul versus 19 through 24 mentioned Timothy. We first see him in Acts 16. He is a Greek who became a Christian through his mom and his grandma. And once he encounters Paul, he essentially becomes his traveling companion. He helps him plant churches and helps him write letters. And notice what Paul says about him. Verse 22, he says, as a son with a father. It's a powerful metaphor. Then in verses 25 through 30, we see Epaphroditus. And the text says in verses 27 and 30, he was sick. He almost died. A bit of context for us. Remember, Paul is in jail. Uh, He's in Rome. He's writing this letter to the Philippians. But at this place and time, prisoners didn't have the the same rights that they do today, right? They didn't, they had to pay for their own meals. They didn't just get served food because they were in jail. They had to, they still had to buy their own food if they wanted to eat. And so if they didn't have resources or a family to help them, they were in a bind. And Jake mentioned back in week one that the letter of the Philippians is in part a thank you letter to the church in Philippi for sending Paul uh, a large sum of money so that he could uh, meet his needs while he was in prison. Uh, keep in mind, Venmo did not yet exist. He couldn't just cash app some money. They couldn't just cash out some money to Paul while he was in prison. Someone had to travel by foot several hundred miles to make sure that Paul would get it. And they chose Epaphroditus. They put their trust in him. And notice how Paul describes him in verse 25. He says, "'My brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need.'" The first word that Paul uses to describe him is as a brother, like a sibling who he's grown up with his entire life. So I want us to step back for a moment and notice this. Timothy and Epaphroditus, they're such close friends of Paul that the best way for Paul to describe them is is as members of his family. He's like a son to me. He's a brother to me. Part of this is due to the fact that they're all Christians, They've all repented of their sins. They've all trusted in Christ alone for their salvation. They have been adopted into God's family. So in one sense, they are brothers. But uh, this is the reason why we often use the family language in our church. It's because the Bible uses family language to describe fellow Christians. The scriptures teach that no matter where you come from, no matter what you've done, no matter what religion you came from, No matter your cultural background, when you come to faith in Christ, you are now family. That is your deepest identity. It is eternal. It is unchanging. But the second thing that we see is that there's a shared entrance. There's a a shared experience between these men that sticks out uh, even beyond what I just described. Because God arranged their individual lives in such a way that they cross paths in really meaningful, deep ways such that Paul would use deeply heartfelt, uh, affectionate language to describe their friendship. And here's what I want to point out. Friendships friendships generally fall in two basic categories. One difference I want to talk about this morning is the idea of a shared interest versus a shared mission. Shared interest versus shared mission. For example, a few years ago... uh, I went with uh, one of my good friends on a cruise for the very first time. We went to Charleston. I'd never been on a cruise before. And when I tell you that I got hooked, I mean, it was immediate. It was like I get on the ship, and it's like, this is is a whole other world that I've never experienced. And I was hooked. I mean, like, not that I just look forward to cruising once a year with some friends and making T-shirts about that cruise, I mean that in between the cruises, I spend time on message boards to talk about cruising. So it's a little weird. That's fine. That's fine. This is me, right? It's not that I just follow different Instagram accounts about cruise captains or whatnot. One of the things that I love most about the cruise, if I may... uh, (laughs) The people that you meet on the cruise ship, they become your cruise friends. All of a sudden, these strangers that you share meals with, you go on excursions with, they become your family for the week. You add them on Facebook because it's like, we're going to be friends forever. It's kind of like camp. Uh, So you become Facebook friends. You're totally officially friends for life. Then you go home, and as you readjust... To life on land, those friendships, they dissipate, right? You don't talk to Barbara every day anymore, you know? Barbara's just up in Rock Hill with her daughter, and you don't talk to her anymore. She's doing fine, based on Facebook, but for me and Barbara, our shared interest in cruising didn't last on land. It was fun, but it didn't last. In contrast to that, there's friendships based on a shared mission. Uh, I think about some of the stories that my granddad has told me uh, about guys that he served with in the Navy. He In World War II, he went overseas to Asia. He was a CB. Uh, he served alongside men, and they, they saw some things, and they experienced some things at a really young age. And even when he died in his mid-80s, there were still men that he served with, that he was close to. Friendships born out of a shared mission are a whole different level entirely than friendships born out of a shared experience, shared interest. That's exactly what Paul had with Timothy and Epaphroditus. Their friendship was united around a shared mission. So look back at Timothy, uh, look at how Timothy is described in verse 22. Paul says, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. The reason Paul says that he's like a son to him is because Timothy has served with him in the gospel by making much of Jesus with him, by suffering together with him, by planning churches and building up leaders with him. Paul's able to say, this guy is my family because we have worked side by side for so long towards the same goal. Epaphroditus too, uh verse 25, Paul says, Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, notice the metaphor, and your messenger to minister to my needs. Paul can say of him, this guy is like a little brother because he's a fellow worker. He's a fellow soldier in the mission we're on. And it's because these three men share this common goal together that they make much of Jesus and all that they do that they can really be this tight-knit, loving family together. They have their own set of stories that they'll never forget. They've got their shared memories, shared heartaches, shared tears. It doesn't matter that Paul was very Jewish and Timothy was very Greek. That became inconsequential once they joined the same mission. And this is instructive for us because it reminds us of the deepest foundation for a relationship that we have. We can be lulled to sleep by distractions and comfort, but the reality that Scripture paints is that there's indeed a spiritual war going on. Jesus says in the book of John that an enemy comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. It's exactly what he's still doing today. Paul, Paul refers to these friends as fellow soldiers, because he knows that he's in a war. Satan hates goodness and wholeness. Satan hates family harmony. He hates laughter and joy. He hates you. He hates your church. He hates your marriage. He hates your purity. He hates it when you go to life group. He hates it when you confess sin (laughs) He hates it when you encourage someone rather than criticize. And these guys know that they are in a war. And when we can see clearly, we see that that war is happening under the surface of our day-to-day. And we join arms with one another in battle to proclaim that Jesus alone saves. That with Jesus comes freedom from everything that would destroy you. We get to proclaim the lordship of Jesus over all and, and properly understood there's, there's no greater mission than this. And when our friendships are built on this, on our unity in Christ, we aren't captive to the lesser affiliations that so many relationships max out at. Our shared interests, they're good and they're fine, but they're not deep enough. They're not lasting. Interests come and go. Seasons of life change. But having a mutual understanding of what it's like being on mission, being a part of God's mission to make all things new is something that even even when life changes, even when you have conflict, even when you sin against one another, your friendships can last. This is how Paul sees it. Because of their common goal, of their common mission, they have a deep friendship. And that's what makes the second part of this so powerful, which is their commissioning from Paul. Remember, Paul's in jail while writing this, and Timothy's serving with him, being like a son to him, according to Paul. Epaphroditus has brought funds for him to survive and is like a brother. There's a level of closeness that if we were to find, if I were to find myself in the predicament like Paul, I would say something like, please stay with me. Please don't leave. Please don't leave. I need you. And in this passage, immediately after speaking so warmly and with such affection about both of them, Paul shares his plans to send them out. When he talks about Timothy in verse twenty-three, it says, "I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me." Same way he thinks about Epaphroditus in twenty-five through twenty-eight. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and was he's been longing for you all and was distressed because he, you heard that he was will he was ill. Verse twenty-eight. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. I'm struck that this is someone that Paul says, he almost died, but God had mercy on them both. So Paul wouldn't have sorrow upon sorrow. And then the next thought out of his mouth, I'm I'm the more eager to send him. He's still willing to send away that close of a relationship. He's still going to lose it to a degree, but this time by choice. Because of Jesus, Paul has such an open-handed, uh, he has such an open hand with these relationships that he is willing and ready. He's eager to send them out to the Philippian church so that it will av- advance God's kingdom, even when it's difficult. <laughs> This commissioning by Paul is actually the fruit of their friendship. Their friendships were built on something bigger than their friendship. Their friendships are not about their friendship. And that freed them up to prioritize their shared mission. Paul knows his friendships are not ultimately about him. Yes, they are like family, but out of a deeper love for Christ Paul's response is to be open-handed with them. He's asking, what's going to advance the kingdom? And in this case, that was sending them out. When it comes to our Jesus-centered friendships, I think we can tend to err one of of two extremes, like if the pendulum swings wrongly one way or the other. One end of the pendulum is close-handed. This is where I love people so much that I want to hold on to them forever. They mean so much to me. They mean so much to my walk with Jesus, and, my, and they're my family, and I can't imagine life without them. And let me just say, praise Jesus if you have relationships like this. That's rare in our culture. But when we don't have the united goal of being on mission together, our relationships can easily become something that we grip onto. On the other side of the pendulum swinging, we're closed off. We're not closed-handed. We're closed off. We're honestly, you've been hurt one too many times by other people. To open yourself up again, to be vulnerable again, the risk is far too much. You'd rather not open up or spend too much time with them as a means of self-protection. What if, what if we become close and then they leave? I'd rather us not become close at all. So you keep your distance. And I I understand that. I I really do. The problem is if we stayed closed off from one another, we close ourselves off from God. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And yet this call to having real deep gospel friendships is to know that Jesus is the foundation, not ourselves. And when we do that, rather than being closed-handed or closed off, we become open-handed in our friendships because we know Jesus's fame is on the line. That ultimately, that takes precedence over my preference or my comfort. When you have these open handed relationships built on this foundation and this shared purpose, rather than asking, How can this person make my life better or easier or more enjoyable? the question becomes, How can we advance the kingdom of Jesus together? It's about asking, uh, Hey, this friendship is really good. How can we invite others into this friendship? Hey, this friendship's really special. There's a lot of people who don't have anything like this. What can we do to reach out to those people? When you're open-handed like this, it may mean that fruitful gospel ministry together, uh, you, you, you stay together for years to come. You're in each other's lives for the long haul in life group together for years on end and can also mean that you're willing to send those friendships out if that means Jesus's kingdom will spread as a family of churches in our city that's what we're going for we want to build deep gospel friendships here all the while being open-handed so that if the mission is called to go forward we say yes we're asking the question, what is going to advance the kingdom? As a church, we've got a lot of good things to celebrate together. One of the things I think we do really well is our emphasis on relationships. And I think there's, there are a lot of you in this room who stuck with it because of the relationships you had. There might be things about our church that aren't your preference. But because the relationships are deep, you see that you can lay down your preferences. <laughs> become willing to lay down your preferences. We're a Jesus-centered family here. We designed our life groups to be the main way that we point each other to Jesus because Jesus has made us family. Each week in people's homes all over the city, we, we study the scriptures together. We pray for one another. We confess together. We point one another to Christ. People from all different walks of life, seasons of life, with different interests, building deep friendships because of Christ. We get meals together, have fun together. My life group, sometimes we play golf together, make memories serving together. One of the best things about our church is the emphasis on relationships. But the goal is never to hoard what we have. It's to share it. That we might be on mission in everything we do, always asking what is going to advance the kingdom There's two relationships that this played out recently in my life. A couple of weeks ago, my life group sent out one of our members. Uh, His name was great. His name is Grayson. Uh, He joined a life group with his, he was not dead. He joined a life group with his wife. (laughs) Sometimes he's gone. He's just gone. No. He joined a life group with his wife. He got married about a year and a half ago or so. Uh, He had planned to stay in our life group for a few months in that transition, but because of the pandemic, we decided to stay a little bit longer. Three months or so ago, Grayson shares with us in life group that it's time for him to transition out, join his wife's group. And I felt sad. I mean, immediately. (laughs) My heart just dropped because it's like... (sighs) I mean, this is one of my very best friends. Been in life group with him... For coming on five years. We actually, the first time that we ever shared a meal together was a really dark night in our nation's history. Uh, it was January of 2017. It was the night that Clemson won their first national championship. <laughs> <clears throat> and so, like, we were able to commiserate together. You know what I mean? Misery loves company. So, we've been friends to, for about five years at this point, and it made me really, really sad. Made me really sad. And immediately, just as I was feeling sad, at the exact same time, I knew that it was the right decision for him without a shadow of a doubt. There was joy for him, there's joy for his family, there's joy for his new life group. They're gonna get to know the grace in the, the way that I have for the past five years. And that's awesome. And I'm sad and I'm joyful. Second story uh, is about a man named Stephen. Stephen and I had walked together through a lot of things for a few years, and I had had a front row seat of watching God work redemption and restoration and healing and forgiveness in his life. And one day as we were grabbing lunch together, Stephen shares with me that Tim had asked him to consider joining the Citizens Church plant in Charlotte. He wanted to know my thoughts. Immediately, no hesitation, yes, go. (laughs) No hesitation. No doubt in my mind, go. And as sure and as quickly as I felt those thoughts, I felt sad. Steve and I had walked through a lot and in my role in our church family, I often get to walk closely with people when they're hurting and suffering and I get a front row seat to watch God offer them healing and freedom. A lot of times I I, I get a front row seat to watching them turn that freedom and that healing down. Instead of, most people in in Stephen's, position would have run. And Stephen didn't run. Instead, he was sent out to Charlotte. And there's fruit in Charlotte. I'm sad that Stephen's no longer in Columbia. And I'm joyful that we got to send him. And this is what we have been doing for as long as we have been around. Our life groups are designed in such a way to leverage our relationships for mission so that one day, God willing, our life groups grow to such a size that we have to multiply them out. Leaders get raised up from within the group and a group gets so big, they have to start a new group. And others in that neighborhood get to be brought in. Is it hard? Yeah. Yeah. Is it painful? Yes. Does it change your life group? Does it change the vibe? Yes. Do we see those people much less than we used to? Yes. Does it get easier? No. It doesn't. And yet, because of Christ, our call is to be open handed with our friendship so that Jesus can be made known. That's the aim. It may mean people stick around for the long haul, and it may mean that people are sent out to start new life groups, whatever advances God's kingdom. And this is why, over the last 15 years, since our church was started, we've now planted five other churches. God's on the move here. And I'm proud of our church family, knowing and understanding that we get that cost. And that's so that Jesus can be made known in different parts of Colombia, in different parts. Of South Carolina and different parts of the southeast and beyond. We've sent some of our very best leaders. We've sent pastors. We've sent life group leaders. We've sent life group coaches. We've sent volunteer coordinators. And as a result, our church feels different. There's deficits. There are gaps where people are sent out. We have to, in a lot of ways, Start from scratch. We've got to train up new life group leaders. We've got to raise up new musicians. We've got to find new volunteers. It comes with sending people out. It means that things are going to look different. Things may not be as good as they once were. And heartache may very well come with it. And if you've been around long enough, you've experienced the bittersweet of praying over people in your life group who you've sent out. If you've been around long enough, you've said goodbye to some of your closest friends. If you've been around long enough, you've grieved over an imagined future living in the same city or being in the same life group with folks. And for what it's worth, it would be very easy to not be a church that sends out. Most churches do not send out and plant other churches. For our for our friendships, it'd be easier if we didn't do that. For our volunteer systems and structures, for our leadership financially, it'd be easier to say, no, we we really need you here. We really need you to stay. And yet, because of Christ, we would do it over all again, because the joy. That's on the other side. This is the same way that it was for Paul. He knows that by sending them out, other people's joy and his own increases. And look what Paul's hope is in sending out Epaphroditus. Verse 28 says, I am the more eager to send him therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again. There's that word that we see coming up time and time again in Paul's letter. Rejoice. Have gratitude, be thankful. Paul's joy is so selfless that he's sending these men out with, with the expectation that others, other people's joy is going to increase. That God's kingdom is going to continue advancing. And the incredible thing, it did. All of us sitting here today are evidence of that. Churches being planted, disciples being made, That was moved in large part by seeing Paul lead in this sending out mentality. Paul sending out Timothy and Epaphroditus leads to us sitting here today. Paul knew that because of the work of Jesus to adopt us back into his family, that we had forever to enjoy our friendship. They had and still have all eternity to be together, to enjoy each other, to tell stories, And this eternal mindset freed them up to be open-handed with their friendships for the spread of the gospel. So even while sending them was difficult, there's also profound joy in it. There's eternal joy in it. And until the new heavens and the new earth, this is what we're after. Open-handed, common mission friendships that put the gospel on display for people around us. We want to rejoice in seeing more and more people baptized through life groups, being on mission, and multiplying out in our city to reach new people. And we want to keep planting churches so that we can have life groups in other cities, so that we can have baptism gatherings in other cities. So in thinking about Philippians 2 here, what do we, what do, we do with a passage like this? I've got two questions for us to close us out. Question number one, are you investing in Jesus-centered friendships? When you think about our church family, do you have people who you can genuinely say they're like a brother or a sister or a son or a daughter to me? If not, are you doing what you can to invest in other people in giving your life away so that you can get there? You get there united and open-handed. Are you, are you united by a common mission with others who love Jesus? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to see the gospel advance and because you're united, are you open-handed in these friendships? For some of you today you might be brand new to this whole Christianity thing and there's part of part, part of you this morning that that wants so much to experience this joy and if that's you I want to encourage you for those who put their trust in Jesus for all who call on him as Savior and in Lord Jesus in turn, calls you his friend, and he will never let you down. He will never let you go. And to have this sort of deep gospel friendship with others means first going to Jesus so that he might make you a friend of his. For others of us this morning, you might be brand new to our church, you might be thinking, well, I know Jesus, but I sure don't have any friendships like this. And if that's you, let me encourage you to take that first step and get into a life group. And once you get into a life group, commit. Commit to these people. No matter how awkward or different they might seem, no matter what stage of life they might be in, no matter if their interests are completely different than yours. Because if you commit to these people and commit to being a Jesus-centered family on mission with them, God is going to use you and grow you in ways that you would have never thought of. And on the other side of that initial novelty of it all being joy, uh, of giving your life away to something bigger than yourself, you're, you're united in God's mission for the world. And then, because of that, question number two how can you leverage your friendships to advance the kingdom? For Paul, this meant sending out his friends to make much of Jesus somewhere else. And the Lord may be calling you to do that. or the Lord may be calling you to stay here and to, to root deeply in our city. But having these sort of friendships mean that wherever, whatever King Jesus says, we follow. Historians tell us that Paul probably did see Timothy again after sending this letter. He probably saw the Philippian church. He probably saw Epaphroditus again. But what we know is that he would go back to prison a few years later to await his beheading. And that time came and he was alone. Again, just waiting for his execution date. And all of those friends of him, all of these brothers and sisters in Christ, all of these churches that he poured into, even Timothy, his beloved son, he never was able to give a proper goodbye to. And yet, here's the beautiful thing. For those of us in Jesus, there's no such thing as goodbye. For the Christian, when we send someone out, it's not goodbye it's see you later because there's a place being prepared for us right now to enjoy Jesus forever where we'll get to worship alongside every human being who has professed faith in Christ. We'll be worshiping alongside Timothy and Paul and the whole church of Philippi. They feel like a long ago story and one day, We will be with them in person because in Jesus there's no such thing as a final goodbye. The people who we send out, Garrison, Stephen, we might we might see them later in this life, but we certainly will see them later in the life to come. Our goal in sending people out is to spread the kingdom. And we trust, we have faith that God will bring us to meet them again one day. Because of Jesus, there is no final goodbye. It's I'll see you down the road. And it's our prayer that as we become the sort of, these sort of people, we, we become the people who are so freed up by Jesus that we look forward to the day where we will see all of the kingdom fruit that happened because we were open-handed, Because every time our king said go, we went. And because every time our king said send, we sent.